know the God uh, of the Bible, and uh, let's turn to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 5. We are still in the throne room. And last week we considered Revelation chapter 4 and we were beholding the, the glorious God in His greatness, in His beauty, in His power, in His glory. And now we, we come to a scene in that very throne room that brings about a bit of a crisis and, and how that crisis is managed is overwhelming and staggering. And so hopefully our hearts will be filled with awe and wonder and worship as we consider this passage together. It's an intimidating one to preach, for sure, and I hope and trust that God will be with us as we move through it. Let's read Revelation chapter 5, all of the chapter, and get a sense of what's going on here. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard, around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Now, as we come to this passage, uh, we certainly need you to do a good work in us, be with us as we consider what is held up and held out to us in Christ. May our hearts be flooded with faith and joy and hope, response of worship we consider these words. So do a good work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There's an expression that unfortunately merits some reality. Never meet your heroes. Essentially, those we admire, look up to, rely upon, that we think are 
great tend to be, well, more human than we hope to ever learn. They have bad attitudes. They have bad days. Or worse, they have bad character. And we are, le- we are often left with the disappointing sting of, I knew it was too good to be true. Never meet your heroes. But what if I introduced you to someone who was better than expected, who never disappointed, who was more amazing than you could ever dream up, and whose heroics grew greater the more you understood them? Enter Jesus, the lion, the lamb, the king. And in Revelation 5, we get to meet the hero who defies all expectations, who's greater than what we could possibly dare imagine. And in beholding King Jesus, we come to grips here in Revelation 5 with some very important things to wrestle with together this morning. In beholding Jesus, we get to come to grips with a a severe crisis. We come to grips with the severity of the crisis. There is a crisis over all of humanity, over all of history. And we come to grips with that. And then we will see the scope of this victory that Christ brings. The scope of this victory over this crisis. And then lastly, we will hopefully find and see and know and experience the strength to go on. To keep going. As we consider this scene As we consider this one in the middle of this scene, I hope that our strength to go on grows in our hearts. So let's consider it together, the severity first of this crisis. There is a crisis in heaven, if you will. Seems out of place. Here we are in the throne room of God, the center point of all of the cosmos over heaven and earth and everything in between, and physical and material and spiritual, all of it. This is the centering point. This is the most glorious place. This is God's presence, His very throne room. And now we are facing a crisis in this place of all places. Are you kidding? If there was ever a place to be devoid of crisis, it should be here. But yet here we have a crisis. And crisis is no one is worthy. No one is worthy. So at the heart of all of this, we have a scroll in the middle of this throne room. In the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, verse 1 says, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. There's something very significant about this scroll. A lot of attention is given to it. And the scroll, first of all, we see is, is in the throne room of God, And in the throne room of God, we have at the center God, and we considered His glory last week. And in His right hand, He is holding a scroll, and this scroll is written on both sides and has seven seals. And again, seven being a number that represents completeness, wholeness, totality. What this scroll represents is a complete and full scope and purpose of God. It is the plan of God for all of history, and it's in His hand. As we considered last week, God sits over history. He sits over it and sovereignly administers His purposes, and the scroll represents His purposes for everything, for all of it, for the whole show. It's significant. 
This is the purpose for all of history. And God has purposed how this is all to go down, and that scroll represents the full, complete, comprehensive plan that is to be executed. Now, there's a few things to keep in mind. One is Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Speaking of God, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as, high, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That scroll would be very overwhelming for us. We would not be able to handle that. We would not be able to understand it. Also, don't forget Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us, to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. That means God does reveal things to us for us to know, but we can't know the full scope of all of his purposes. They're, they're too high, too far, too much for us to grasp, and that leads us right into the problem with the scroll, that no one is worthy of such a quest. No one can fulfill what is written on that scroll. Look again at verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? To open the scroll and breaking the seal, it means who is worthy to fulfill this? Who's worthy to, to open it up, read it, take it all in, and do it? Who can do this? Who can bring it about? Who can accomplish it? And then verses 3 and 4, here's your answer. No one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. No one anywhere. So just the point of emphasis, no one in heaven, no one on earth. No one under the earth, you can't find anyone anywhere at any time. No one could open it, let alone look into it. You couldn't even peek into it. And John's response to such a thing is that he weeps. Why? Why does he weep? Because that no one was worthy to fulfill God's purposes means there's no hope. It means that sin, death, evil, disappointment, all of it, all of it wins. Meaningless wins if God's plans aren't fulfilled. It is a hopeless situation. And that crisis is created and John experiences it and feels it to drive him and us to see the one who is worthy. The one who is worthy. There is but one who can take the scroll. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. You have no more reason to weep. What joy, what hope. There is one who can and does and will fulfill all of these words. 
It is a lion. The image that comes to mind is someone powerful and kingly. And then is the root of David. It is a reference to one who fulfills, is the fulfiller of all of God's promises. A summary statement, the root of David, fulfilling all of God's promises given in his word. And who has conquered, meaning this mighty king does it, fulfills the scroll. The problem of no one being found worthy is met by the only one worthy. And as I'm sure if you noticed, the initial responses of worship were focused on his worthiness. In verse 9, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Verse 11, worthy is the lamb who was slain. The crisis in heaven is that no one in heaven on earth, under the earth, can do it but one. And that one being King Jesus. And Jesus brings about a victory whose scope is so vast, greater than the crisis itself, but comes in a paradox. His victory comes in a paradox. It comes through death. Not quite the way that you thought this was going to go down when you are in the throne room of God and there's this kingly, fulfiller, conqueror. Those images that come to mind aren't necessarily one of sacrifice and death. And how quickly the picture changed from a lion to a lamb who was slain. It's a paradox. And that victory comes through what looks like defeat. The lion that conquers is really a lamb who was slain. Staggering. Here we are, given a peek into the most glorious place in all of the cosmos, for a lack of a better word. And in this peak in there, we have one who, who still carries the marks of the cost to bring about that conquering victory. Here we have the lion who is a lamb that was slain. Certainly referring to Jesus' earthly ministry in which Jesus enters into our humanity and takes on our penalty, that is death defeating it, and defeating what brings about death, that is sin, and demonstrating that defeat through His resurrection. This king, this lion, this lamb who was slain, took on what we could not ever hope to accomplish on our own. In fact, it was already declared no one was worthy to do such a thing. Took it on for us. Entered in our humanity so far, all the way down into death in our place. And so doing this moment, this scene, this lamb who was slain is a picture to us of the nature and character of God's grace. And it is the plan that only Jesus could fulfill. Other places in Scripture help round out what we are seeing here. Makes me think of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Speaking of the nature and character of God's grace, it says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, 
Not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who did what? Abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Or it makes me think of that opening chapter in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, you could read all that whole opening chapter, but verses 7 through 10 says, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and on earth things on earth. Jesus fulfills through his life, death, and resurrection all of God's purposes, purposes rooted in eternity past that have eternity future implications. Christ fulfills them all. By doing what we could not do, by paying what we could not afford by giving what we could not gain by bringing near what we could never reach and all of this he did through his perfect life lived for us his substitutionary death died in our place his powerful resurrection over death and tomb and grave in His present reigning and ruling, and in His one day returning in which He will vanquish all sin and all of its shadows and all of its lingering effects. He will vanquish all of death. He will vanquish all evil. He will vanquish Satan. And he will vanquish it all. But right now, He reigns and rules carrying the marks of the cost of that conquering victory. There he is in glory in heaven, and yet recognized as a lamb who was slain. He entered into our humanity and took on our sin and took on death and won. The scope of his victory lasts forever. And as he is there in the middle of that throne room, we find the expansion of worship in response to the one who brings an end to all the weeping, we find worship. Note how it fills out all of the cosmos. It starts with the four living creatures and the 24 elders who are closest to the throne in the middle of the throne room. They all sing a new song in response to Jesus, looking at verses 8 and 9. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Then we find scores and scores, myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of angelic beings joining in and on the song. In verse 11, 
I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy. It's expanding out. And so it doesn't stop there. Then in verse 13, we find all creatures everywhere joining in on this song. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, be glory. The expansion of worship in response to the lion who is a lamb that was slain, overcoming sin, death, and Satan, fulfilling all of God's purpose is a worship that expands out to the edges and fills the cosmos. This is the hero to meet. Not only does the king not disappoint, but his worthiness is so great that its awareness expands out all the heavens, the earth, the cosmos. And, get this, he keeps getting greater the more we grasp his greatness. That's not how it works. Usually things diminish or they run to the end. Okay, that was really great. And now it's over. Great careers come to an end. And here we come to a realization of the greatness of Christ. And it has no end. In fact, it just keeps getting greater. Liken it to Philippians chapter 2. Verses 9 and 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will recognize his greatness. Some through the joy of worship others through the terror of defeat, but there will be no one anywhere ever that won't come to that realization that Jesus is great. There in the middle of this throne room, fulfilling all of God's purposes, bringing an end to all the weeping, is Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus who identifies with us in the most deep ways possible. He entered into our humanity and did what we couldn't do to give what we couldn't gain. That Jesus is there, recognized as a lamb who was slain. He kept those digs on, if you will. Oh no, this is how I conquered. And when we take that in and as we wrestle with that and as we think about that, as these words leap off the pages at us and, and overwhelm us, what do we do with that? Well, my hope is that we find here strength to go on. If we remember, the point of Revelation is to encourage the church to keep holding on. Yes, life is indeed hard. Yes, evil is real. Yes, you will have seasons in which you are spiritually exhausted. But God is in control. Look to Jesus. He wins. He won. He will win. We'll know this victory forever. Hold on to Him. 
And, and God in his grace gives us this, this peel back in the curtain. And we get to look in. And we get to see the reigning, ruling, victorious king. And he is not ashamed of us. He still has the scars of the cost to secure our victory. He's not ashamed of that. He's recognized as the lamb who was slain in heaven. He didn't just put on glory and be like, oh, I can get rid of that. Don't need to be reminded of that anymore. No. No, he's not ashamed of us. Not ashamed of what it cost. He's victorious. Let's consider what this means for us right now in our lives and in our church. Because of this scene, first thing I want to say is the king will comfort us. The king here in Revelation 5 will comfort us. There is no difficulty in your life that's too big for this king of Revelation 5. There's no sorrow in your life that is too devastating for this king, this king on display in Revelation 5. There are no tears in your life that are too much for this king. He is the ender of your tears. All those things that we feel in this life that you may have walked in these doors with, feeling very real and viscerally, feeling very tangibly today, the shame of your sin, the lingering pain of the sin of others, the despair you feel because the struggles you have have been all the time and you see no end to them, the brokenness around you in your relationships, the hurt that you've done or the hurt done to you, all of it, this stuff that we bottle up and we carry, and we carry in different ways, loudly or suppressively, we carry and we feel, is there ever going to be an end? And then it turns on us, and we get lost in our thoughts, and we think, God doesn't care. Why would God care about me? Because I struggle in this way, I don't feel God's care. All of that. The king that's in Revelation 5 is recognized as a lamb who was slain. Who took on all of that. All of that sin. All of that sorrow. All of that shame. He faced it all for his people. That's the same king who will comfort us. And if you feel like you're threadbare, and if you feel like comfort is elusive for you, then know that the, the, the call of revelation is a call to hold on. Just hold on. We will hold on with you. Because at the very end, there will be that defining time in which your sorrow and your struggle will be no more. Revelation 21, verse 4 the experience that John has in, in Revelation 5, we get to share. He, same king, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. 
or the former things have passed away. That king reigns and rules now. And when he returns, that reality we will know in full measure, but we know it in part now too. The strength to go on is found in beholding the king that we see in Revelation 5, beholding him through faith, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection, beholding him through faith and trust in the word that reveals the character and nature of God for us, trusting and holding on. Strength to continue on is found in beholding our king. He will strengthen us, or he will comfort us. And secondly, the king will strengthen us. Again, looking back into this picture and seeing Jesus being the one who fulfills God's purposes to the fullest, the front and back of that scroll, every word he fulfills, not a word is left behind. Nothing is hanging in the balance in God's purpose. Nothing is hanging in the balance with your sin. Nothing is hanging in the balance with this king. If that king is able to overcome sin, death, and Satan for us. If that king fulfills God's redemptive and restorative purposes for us, then he's not going to let us languish in our weakness, but rather strengthen us to hold on. He is the king that is for us and with us. He has displayed that through the cross. He has displayed that through the resurrection. He displays it to us now, even though life is hard and evil is real, but God is indeed in control and Jesus wins, so hold on knowing that Jesus holds on to us. He go through the experience of all that he endured to bring about our redemption, the means of our restoration with God to watch us sink under the overwhelming current of sin, death, and Satan? No. Oh, no. Christ is the King who will strengthen us. Therefore, keeping in mind how this is relevant for us is that the King will comfort us and the King will strengthen us. And our experience of that comfort and strength is found in the same response that we see here in this chapter. It's coming to greater grips in reality that the king is worthy of worship. The experience of comfort and strength is found in worshiping Jesus. And seeing his worth. Even in the face of a life as hard and evil as real world. Seeing his worth in the rescue from your sin. Seeing his worth in the strength that you receive in knowing him and being known by him. So I say to all of us here, as we look around at our personal plight, as we look around in a world in turmoil, as we look around in a world that offers us everything that we could ever have in need for comfort and yet find it empty. As we look around and see these limitations or these struggles, whether personally or broadly, as we look around, it's easy to lose sight 
It's easy to feel weak. It's easy to feel isolated and alone. So I say, lift up your eyes off your plight. Look to your king. Behold here one who commands the worship of heaven and earth and the cosmos. And let us together see how great he is. And with awe and wonder, let us together see how his greatness never ceases. Let's go and meet this hero. You won't be disappointed. God, I ask that you would do that good work in us to help us see Christ over all things. That he indeed alone is worthy and that our response to such a glimpse of his worthiness would be people eager for worship, people comforted in our sin and our sorrows, people strengthened in our plights and our struggles. Help us, we pray. We know the weightiness of a life as hard and evil as real world. Now give us a glimpse through faith of the greatness of our King. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. What else could we possibly end with? <laughs>